Hi there, and welcome to episode 18 of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith, and it is May 17th, 2016, so let's get started. So first up on the docket today is a follow-up story on something I'd mentioned in the last podcast, and that had to do with Broadcom actually exiting the IoT chipmaker market. So the article in the show notes goes into you know, quite a bit of detail on uh, why they decided to step out of the market. But the short version of it is is that they basically didn't feel like they could scale up quick enough to compete with some of their major competitors when it came to producing IoT chips. So what they ended up doing, as I mentioned in the last article, they actually sold off their business unit to um, Cypress Semiconductor for like $550 million in cash, I believe. So when it comes to, I mean, one of the reasons why they ended up doing it, and when it comes to IoT devices, there's not a lot of margin in IoT devices, and you really need to sell a lot of them to be profitable. So like I said, since they didn't feel like they could actually scale up fast enough to actually sell a lot of the, sell a lot of, or get their chips in a lot of IoT devices, they basically said, hey, we're just going to, you know, we're going to sell this business unit off. We're going to use it to pay off some debt or you know, streamline its operations or whatever. So this isn't actually this isn't actually the first time that Broadcom. You can read the sto- whole story in the sh- the article that's in the show notes, but they actually kind of ran into the same issue when they were trying to compete with um, Qualcomm when it came to mobile chips. So basically, it was kind of the same situation. So uh, Broadcom wasn't able to scale up fast enough, and then basically. Um, Qualcomm forced them out of business or out of the mobile chipset um, business in 2014. And actually, Texas Instruments, who Broadcom was competing against, they actually had to exit the business in 2012 because Qualcomm was actually able to scale up faster. So, anyway, so it looks like it'll probably be, at least according to some of the financial analysts, it looks like it'll probably be a better decision in the long run since they um, actually decided to sell off their uh, IoT chip-making unit. And then next up, Nest is actually opening up their Thread network. So if you don't know what Thread is, Thread is basically it's similar to Apple's HomeKit. So it it's basically allows various devices like door locks or thermostats or whatever to uh, talk to each other as part of an IoT ecosystem. So anyway, so they're opening opening that thread network up. They're calling it Open Thread. The um, code is actually available out on GitHub. So what they really want to do is, I guess it's probably it's a it's a probably a way for Google to compete against Apple's HomeKit and try to get developers and device manufacturers to actually jump on board with the thread network instead of working with uh, HomeKit. Or maybe it'll add an additional, you know, maybe for the developers, maybe they get them working on the HomeKit and Thread Network on both on both of those. Who knows? Um, but anyway, it looks like in order to actually uh, develop a device and then actually have it work with the Open Thread Network, you have to join the uh, Works with Nest program so that you can integrate whatever your device you're making into the Nest Open Thread Network. And then something I've mentioned in previous podcasts. So to add to the ever-growing number of groups out there who are trying to put forth various security guidelines or standards that will apply to the Internet of Things. 
So it looks like the IoT Security Foundation. So this is a nonprofit organization. They were put together to raise the quality of security across IoT. So like I said, like many other groups that are out there trying to help with IoT security, this is yet another one, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's good to have all these groups at least show an interest in putting putting together some security guidelines to help developers and manufacturers or consumers or whatever um, be um, be cognizant of security when it comes to IoT. But at some point, all these groups are going to have to get together and, and you know put fu- put something forth that's stand that's standardized so that you know if you're a developer of an IoT device, you're not out there having to look at like ten different standards and try to figure out which one you should go by. So I think in the in the short term, it's a good thing all these groups are interested in doing this. Um, but in the long term, they're still going to need to consolidate some of this into just um, you know one comprehensive guide for folks when it comes to IoT security. So anyway, they've actually launched, as part of this um, IoT Security Foundation, they've actually launched five priority working groups. And the groups, real quick, they are just, um, one is self-certification, two is connected consumer products, the third working group is patching constrained devices, the fourth group is responsible disclosure guidelines, and the fifth one right now is the IoT security landscape. All right, so the next story is about the Amazon Dash button that can integrate with AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, IoT, obviously Internet of Things. So this is based on the Dash, the Amazon Dash button hardware. So if you're not familiar with the Dash button hardware, basically it's a little device you can buy from Amazon for like five bucks and it may be geared towards tissue paper or laundry detergent or whatever. So basically you just press the button and it automatically orders you some more. So this one's obviously geared around IOT. So, and what they mean for this device, they mean it to, or they made it for um, developers so that it'll make it easier for developers to get started with AWS, AWS IOT and other Amazon web services without having to write, device specific code. So, you know, they've already already got the device. Here's, if you're a developer, you know, here's the AWS IoT device where you use, you know, go forth and make something. So it can be configured to do all kinds of various things like um, connecting doorbells or light switches, or it can be connected with something like Twitter or whatever it might be. So I haven't actually messed with one myself, but it uh, looks like it's pretty cool. Um, But anyway, yeah, it's the um, AWS IoT and, or it works, sorry, it works with AWS IoT and it's the Amazon dash button that works with AWS IoT. So yeah, it looks pretty interesting if you're a developer looking to work with IoT and Amazon. So it looks like if you are an owner of a Raspberry Pi 3, there is a Raspbian update, which if you're not familiar with Raspbian, it's actually a OS for the Raspberry Pi that's actually based on Debian. So anyway, so they've brought out an update for it, which actually makes Bluetooth support better on the Raspberry Pi 3. So if you remember, the older Raspberry Pis actually had to use third-party dongles to actually get Bluetooth or Wi-Fi support, but the Raspberry 3 actually has it built in. So they've actually put out an update that actually makes the Bluetooth better to work with. So they've added some uh, GUI tools to manage Bluetooth connections better, and then they've also added the Genie editor for programmers. So it looks pretty interesting. And 
Looks like it might be some fun updates for the uh, Raspberry Pi 3 when it comes to uh, Bluetooth support. So the next story I added in here, it's not necessarily about IoT, but it's kind of the, the gentleman that the story's about will probably have some kind of oversight over IoT when it comes to Intel's business. But basically the story goes, and you can read this, again, the um, article URL is actually in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. But basically the gist of it is Intel paid... 25 million to Qualcomm to poach this guy uh, from Qualcomm. So they brought him over to Intel to basically oversee all their product businesses. So I just found that interesting that um, somebody is obviously worth 25 million to Intel just to poach them from a competitor. So yeah, like I said, you can read the whole article, but uh, that's pretty much it on that one. And then for the next story, this is actually a story that's good to see that the government's actually or one of the government agencies actually getting involved in IoT security. So the Veteran Affairs Department, they actually want to put together um, some requirements for security solutions when it comes to hospital network security. So I'm sure you've read in stories lately of hospitals uh, being victims to ransomware attacks and so forth. So basically the VA's requirements for a security solution include not needing software to be installed on the device, scalability scalability to millions or more devices, functionality across different physical and virtual environments, consideration for a time lag in the device, ability to provide reports on device traffic volume, threat indicators and protocols, and automation. So a lot of this, the requirements they've listed out aren't any kind of mystery to lots of the folks involved in IoT. Um, but like I said, it's good to see that Somebody like the um, Veteran Affairs Department is actually getting involved, especially when it comes to trying to secure some of these devices when it comes to the hospital networks, which if anybody, if you know anything about hospital networks, they're in pretty bad shape right now. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully something that these guys do, Veteran Affairs Department, Department will help in this regard. And then it looks like Google is getting ready to launch a device of their own that will actually be a rival to the Amazon Echo. So if you're not familiar with the Amazon Echo, it's actually a pretty cool device, which it's intended to basically let you be able to control various different IoT devices in your home um, using voice. So basically you can connect something like a, and I think it works with Insteon. So you can connect like Insteon, like, um, outlets that like turn on turn on and off lights so you could basically say something like you know alexis turn on the living room light or something like that but anyway so basically it's meant to be like a hub for all your iot devices and be able to control those through voice or you can talk to alexis and be like hey what's the weather what's the latest news that sort of thing so anyway it looks like they're bringing forth their or want to bring forth their own um amazon echo device so they're calling it chirp or at least that's codename chirp so i don't know what the final device will be named um but anyway um it looks like it's similar it looks like it's going to be kind of the same feature set that the amazon echo has where they want it basically they want that to be the center of your home as far as um, iot devices go but anyway either way if it's as good as as cool as the amazon echo it'll be pretty interesting to see how it works when they actually bring it out and then I thought this next story was actually an interesting one when it comes to security and privacy or uh, online security and privacy. So it doesn't necessarily need or 
necessarily have to do with IoT specifically, but IoT and some of the things that are going on with devices when it comes to security and privacy may be some of this, may be helping drive some of this. But anyway, so a survey that was actually put together by the Department of Commerce's National Telecommunications and Information Administration, which I didn't even know existed, and that's the first time I've ever heard of this group, they actually did a survey on Americans to try and figure out if they were still doing um, some of the things online that they had done in the past. And it looks like nearly half of all Americans, according to the survey, have not carried out a normal online task because of security and privacy fears, um, at least according to this survey. So, <coughs> excuse me, so 45% of the 41,000 households that were contacted as part of the survey said they decided to not do things like online billing or buy other goods online or post on social networks because they were basically worried about security and privacy. So, so I don't know. I don't know if it's, it could be a combination of all the breaches that are in the news or it could be government surveillance that's driving some of this, or it could just be just security fears in general and privacy fears in general. It's, um, leading people to not carry out things online or, you know, do normal tasks online like banking and so forth. So I don't know. It hadn't really slowed me down, but I mean, I know how to like hopefully make myself secure when it comes to doing things online. But um, either way, I think from, I think obviously these are valid concerns. If you're just a normal everyday guy who's just using your computer to read email or, you know, go um, look at your bank account online, those sort of things. So, I can definitely see why people are um, kind of hesitant to use the, uh, be online and use the internet these days. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, interesting survey nonetheless, though. And then just a few things to mention on or mention about the OWASP Internet of Things project. So we've made a few changes this week, and there'll, obviously there'll be some more changes to come, especially before as uh, as Black Hat in uh, Las Vegas gets closer. So we've actually taken, taken the IoT Top 10 um, project that we had in the past. We've actually kind of retired that project and actually moved that to basically just an IoT Top Vulnerability. So we'll have a separate project on there now for simply IoT or Top IoT Vulnerabilities. Uh, we've also added the IoT Security Policy Project. So that'll be something to help um, folks with like putting together various security policies um, when it comes to dealing with security and IoT devices. So there's a couple changes we made to the um, OWASP Internet of Things project. So do have a look at that whenever you have a chance. And then finally, there is a article or a link to an article in the show notes that has to do with the industrial IoT, IoT and this one has to do with security or sorry, securing industrial wireless networks. So it's a pretty uh, detailed article on securing wireless. A lot of the, for the industrial side of things, so a lot of the information in there is similar to what you'd see in securing a corporate network, wireless network, or even your home network, like using encryption, et cetera. Uh, but one of the other things they do add in there is using like things like radius servers and that sort of thing. So if you're in the industrial um, internet of things, you know, do have a look at that article. Um, it's probably, got, it's got some decent information or some good information on uh, securing wireless some of it, like I said, it's uh, common common stuff you do to actually secure um, any kind of wireless network. But uh, do have a look. So that is the podcast for this week. 
Um, again, I'm Craig Smith. Um, if you have any comments, questions, or whatever, um, feel free to contact me. You can leave a comment on the website, or you can reach me at CraigZ28 at CraigSmith.net or on the Twitters at CraigZ28. Um, but other than that, that's it for the day. So have a great day. Thanks.